Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined from Ottawa by David Perry. Uh, David is the director of Perry Martel, which is an executive search company, but he is also extremely well known as an author, um, quite prolific author, actually. So David has written variously, Hiring Greatness, best-selling books, including Executive Recruiting for Dummies, Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters. So David, welcome and thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thank you. We are here to discuss leadership in the round. And we're going to look at it in two parts. The first part, we're going to look at from the point of view of recruiters recruiting great leadership teams for their clients. And then we're going to kind of switch the focus a little bit and look at recruitment leaders as leaders themselves in their own businesses. But those two areas clearly overlap quite a lot. So I'm really excited to find out what David has to say on this, which neither of us know. This is really quite spontaneous. So, David, we're in now what I think we can fairly safely call a post-pandemic world. Things are definitely looking up for um, most recruiters here in the UK. And what we've discovered, I think, is that the pandemic has acted as a, a sort of accelerator with a lot of unexpected consequences. So to start, first of all, looking at recruiting leaders for our clients, what I'd like you to kick off with is, tell me, what do you think the biggest obstacles are now for doing brilliant recruitment for our clients? And yeah, how can we work around those? That's a great question. And thank you for letting me think about that great question for a couple of weeks. I actually did for the last couple of days, and I'm trying to I was trying to compress everything into a concise answer um, that everybody would get because I don't know I don't know the whole audience that you're talking to. So here's my answer to that question. I, I think what's lacking on both sides is insight. Insight into what the client company really needs. And, and the reason I say that I've been at this for 35 years now and. Uh, the reason I say that is because a lot of times when we're it, us on the business, when we're taking a quote-unquote job order, we're listening to what the client says they need. And many times over the years, I've been in the middle of a search and get to the, towards the end of the search back in the day, I realized that um, that's not really what they need. They handed me a job description or a problem defined five years ago or 10 years ago or three years ago or, or even 18 months ago. And the landscape looks completely different. So when I say insight, I mean insight in terms of sitting down with a client and asking them the hard questions. And and a lot of people don't do that. 
they run off to do a search based on what the client says they need without any real insight as to what the client really needs. And, and I have all kinds of examples that I can uh, that I can pull out. But that's what I would say it is. It, it's insight. And, it, and it's having the, the wherewithal to, to listen to the client and then start to ask questions that make them think about without saying, no, you're wrong. It's like, like I know what your problem is. That's not it. Because that just ends in a fight. But asking them good questions uh, that make them think, that's the challenge. To get, to, get, to get the insight that's actually usable for us so that we can package something, go to the market, bring the right talent in, and make the marriage. Yeah. Now, I, I think that any of our audience who are recruitment business owners who have ever taken the trouble to listen to some recorded calls of their staff, which is one of the things I was doing last week, will recognize that we all have recruiters who don't want to rock the boat and they're so grateful for, hey, here's a job order, you know, here's someone telling me what they want and I can go and search for that. They're so grateful for that that their instinct is not to go, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, let's just backtrack a little bit and ask the bigger questions like, what are you trying to achieve as a business and so forth? Uh, they think, oh, that's just, you know, putting me at risk and it make me difficult. There's the other issue as well, isn't there, which is that for a lot of the businesses that engage with recruiters, there is a perception that that's what you have to do, that you have to have come up with the, the person specification already, because otherwise you're going to just be taken down the wrong path or your time wasted or you'll look foolish or sometimes just that they want to keep your arm's length. Do you have any advice for our listeners about if they recognize that kind of client? Do you have any advice on how to deal with them? Yeah, sure. So I'll tell you what we do. I, I can only speak from experience, right? And, and just to frame my experience so your listeners understand where I'm coming from, maybe pay attention a little bit more. Maybe not. I've done now more than 1,500 searches. I think it's 1,591. We're getting close to 1,600. That's me personally. I've negotiated now more than $400 million in salaries. Um, so that's a whack. And we have a one-year warranty. We've had that since six months when we started Perry Martel back in 1988. A one-year warranty. I've replaced six, six people, primarily because the first deal I ever did fell apart. And we, I was just devastated. So was the kid um, that I put into this role that it took me six months to fix it on both sides. So I never wanted that to happen again. So, where, what am I, so I'm going to answer your question. When we're talking to a prospect, a client, whether we, we've called them or they've called us, we'll just sit and listen to what they say they want, and then we'll start with a bunch of questions. But the first thing, the first question I always ask the client or the prospect is, what's the best use of our time today? How much time do you have? What's the best use of our time? What do you want to accomplish? And they'll tell you. And, and most people aren't used to that having that kind of question asked. They're used to the recruiter sitting, okay, so how many of those do you need? And what, what are the skills? And, you know, how much are you going to pay them? We don't do that. We do a complete SWOT analysis. In fact, it, it, you know, and it's, it's there for the taking. On our website, you know, barrymartel.com, mm -hmm. um, I have a brochure called the Inside Out Approach. It is our six-stage, 14-step process. Uh, people are welcome to go to it and read it, make use of it as they see fit. You know, copy it, use it. So it's four, right? Both books that you mentioned were written based on this. So we do a SWOT analysis to take the client through 
where they are with their business and, uh, and not just where they are in terms of finance, where they are situated in the marketplace with their products, with their people, how they're thinking about it, who their competitors are. And, and, and very few companies go through a SWOT analysis more than once every couple of years. We do with our clients every time we take a search because nowadays, you know, everyone in the world's connected, right? We all have one of these cell phones, which means I'm connected to you. You're connected to somebody else. And whatever thoughts I have right now, if I put them down on paper, it's no longer intelligence. It's, it's knowledge that everybody can share. So the business changes so fast and there's so many competitors coming out of, you know, everywhere. I mean, disruption is the name of the game now, right? That even companies that you're talking to, no matter what size they are, may not be aware of their own market space. So we step through a SWOT analysis with them gently, uh, and then we ask a pile of questions along the way that allow us to build the description. And, and anybody who's listening, I would really urge them to go have a look at the, resource, the resources that David just mentioned on um, the website, which is really generously sharing. Also, David's going to share something with us at the end of the podcast today, so keep listening. But just to circle back on that, there's a temptation when your market returns to think, phew, you know, great. So now we can all go back to normal. And a lot of my conversations with my clients, who are typically recruitment business owners, are actually about not going back to normal, about generally changing what they do make to make it better, actually getting their, their heads under the bonnet, as we say, or you might say hood, yep. uh, to see what's really going on in their business and what can be improved. And also about differentiating themselves better in what is a fairly crowded recruitment market. Yeah, In your view, David, are there reasons why it's important to look at changing your approach to recruitment now? And this is a question for... I am asking on behalf of recruiters recruiting for clients. Uh, yeah, because if you don't, someone else is going to, someone like me, I will unmercifully stomp you into the floor. I mean, the book I wrote, Hiring Greatness, How to Recruit Your Dream Team and Crush the Competition, I had to fight to get that title. It was originally titled Lead, Dominate, Prosper, How to Recruit Your Dream Team and Stomp Your Competitors into the Dirt. Because that's what our business is, right? And that's what business is. Business is war. I mean, if I'm off track, you know, stop me now. But business is war. I mean, people don't go to work every morning. Captains of industry don't go to work every morning to make the world a better place. In general, they go to work every work every week to uh, to make more money and to expand their territory and expand the size of their company. Business is war. We're at the forefront of that. We argue, and justifiably so, that you know, if you want to be the best, you have to hire the best. And yet, as an industry, again, a generality, as an industry, we don't hire the best and the brightest, and we certainly don't have the most modern tactics when it comes to building our own businesses. You know, so hallelujah that you're telling me not to go back to normal. It's anything but normal. It's a whole new level. I mean, we're sitting down now, and we have been for the last oh, say six months, deciding who we're going to be doing business with. I, I still use mail. I send out a let, I send out letters, and this may sound so trivial, also, but I'll send out a letter, and it'll say, my name is, and this is what I do, and this is what you do. Perhaps we should be working together. And here's why I say that, 
and I list a couple of bullet points. I said, if this is if this is of interest, give me a call. If it's not, uh, have your secretary call me, because otherwise I'm going to follow up this call, this letter, in a couple of days. And most CEOs that I send this to will either have their secretary call me and say, thank you, we're not interested. And I go, great, right-hand side of the board. Or they'll call me themselves and say, uh, yeah, let's talk about this. And it, I mean, there's no specific role in mind, but I want to have a conversation, one business owner to another. And I'm asking to have that conversation. If you're not interested, it's fine. You're on the right-hand side. We call them clients and sources. That's in the old days, that's what we used to call them. You know, now they're suspects and sources. <laughs> so, you know, we're in the process of selecting who we're going to do business with over the next little while. And, and, you know, we had this conversation with a client three weeks ago. I've known this guy for, he's a CEO of a large internet IP firm. He wants us to do a CTO, a VP of sales, a whole new sales team for the, uh, the residential division and a couple of other things. So he brought us in to talk to his group and we had the conversation and we went back with a proposal. Our proposal is 23, 24 pages long. It tells them what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and what step we're going to do it, and then what they're responsible for. So it's like a service level agreement and they sign off on it. So we sent that to them and we waited and we waited and finally I called them and I said, you know, we're going to have this meeting today, but I'm not going to have the meeting with you unless you sign this thing and come back to us. And they said, well, we've known each other for a long, long time. Anyway, I got sucked into the vortex. So we had this conversation, and at the end of it, we're doing an intake, and at the end, we're asking all the right questions. And at the end of it, you know, he comes back with a, a counterproposal. I said, a counterproposal? He said, yeah, we like what you said, and we really want to work with you. We've got all these positions, boom, boom, boom. And the sales guys are where we want to start, and you get that. I said, yeah. I said, but we have a counterproposal. Rather than your 33%, which is what we pitched, that's what we do, right? That's what we're worth, and I'm not going to work for any less, and if you don't like it, then you're on the right-hand column. So he came back with a counterproposal, which is essentially about 15% less on the gross than what we were presenting. And it was earned out over a very small retainer up front and then based on a bunch of things that he came up with. And I said, you know, that's very generous. It's just not generous for us. So no thanks. And he's been after us now for two weeks to take these deals and, and, and it's no thanks. And I, and I finally phoned him and told him, listen, I talked to the whole group. That's not just me. I talked to the researchers and the rest of the team. And I said, you know, let's vote on this. So it was 10 to one against, I was the one cause I like them. The other 10 were against it because it went against all of our policies on who we are, what we stand for and what we do. And the first thing we stand for is we're partners. We'll take on risk. We'll share risk. But we will be rewarded for that, full stop, because there's a thousand customers out there. And it's the same thing now. What the UK is facing is the same thing that everyone else is facing. There's a huge shortage for leaders. So why take a great, I was going to look up the football players this morning, but you know, why take your top man from Manchester and sell him to somebody else for a dollar when he can stay and play on, on the Manchester team and, and be a hero? That's a, that, there's probably never been a more important time because of demand, as you say, to identify who your customers are and what your strategy is. And for a lot of the businesses I talk to, that's the first big step that they need to, to get through because actually having a strategy means saying no to things, doesn't it? In fact, that is the very bottom, bottom line of what it means, that there are some things you won't do. 
We've also seen some perhaps unexpected uh, issues bubble to the top. Uh, So one of them would be diversity and inclusion in recruiting leadership teams. Um, And that's a very influential factor that I'm noticing at the moment and suggests a need for a lot of recruiters to actually change their sourcing practices um, as well. But on your, let's let's leave that aside for a moment. On your website, David, you uh, mention an approach called the inside out approach. Could you just talk our audience through that and how you sell it to clients? So here's the pro, and they can download this off the website. Here's the brochure. It's, I don't know, 10 pages. I don't sell in here. And for those who are just listening to this, can you just read out the title for us? It's called Executive Recruiting, the Perry Martel Inside Out Approach. And so uh, it, it is what we do and how we do it. And here are the six stages, the 14 steps. And, and, and the reason we do this is I very rarely sell over the phone by itself. Unless, you know, unless it's a company, you know, we just finished a, a project in Atlanta. Obviously, we're not in Atlanta. We're 2,000 miles away from Atlanta. We took the project because the, the gentleman that brought the project in was a business coach who'd been working with this company for the last two years. They needed to hire a COO. He'd read all of our books. And they needed a recruiter, so we had a conversation, I don't know, six months ago, where we started asking the right questions, and all of a sudden, at the end of it, they said, well, no, we're not going to talk to anybody else, we just want to talk to you guys. I said, well, you know, here's, here's the process we're going to take you through. So what we normally do with this thing is I'll take it to a client face-to-face, and I'll, I'll put the thing across the desk, and then I'll open it up upside down, and I'll walk them through it. You know, the first is, is you know, the needs analysis. That's stage one. You know, what are your business goals? What are the challenges? What are your assumptions in your blind spots? You know, how do things actually get done here? And then we'll go, you know, we'll go to the campaign preparation and packaging the cause. But, you know, the point of this is we'll talk about a SWOT analysis. We will get to know a client and a client's issues intimately very fast by the questions we ask. And when we understand that, so we'll go very deep, very fast. When we understand that, then we can step back and say, okay, so here's what we're looking for in terms of the individual and what they need to accomplish. And we'll get agreement on that, and then we'll package it. This too will take us a couple of weeks. Most clients first time are not used to being asked this many questions or this amount of specific, specific I need a coffee, preciseness. <laughs> um, sorry. So it, it puts them off a little bit sometimes at first and I'll say, listen, if this makes you uncomfortable answering this many questions that, you know, you don't have all the answers to, and it's okay that you don't have all the answers. Let me give you a half dozen people that have been through this before you. So you can call them. I say, so you'll, you'll understand that, that I don't like to waste my time. I'm certainly not going to waste yours. So call these people and, and ask them about us and then call us back and we'll have that question. I have a question and answer period again. So, that's the approach we go through, the inside-out approach. And then it, and because we've publicized this thing, it's in the books, right? Now, I have so many clients that will pull up executive recruiting for dummies that will actually be there when we're doing a, a, a search. And they'll say, oh, that's in Chapter 10. You know, on this page, I'll go, yeah. So they're actually following along. And, it, and it's kind of interesting because there's not a lot of well, – there aren't really very many courses you can go to to become an executive recruiter. You know, you say you are one, you print the cards, you throw out the shingle and you're in business. 
by being this precise and taking someone through our process, and it can be anybody's process, and holding yourself accountable, you build the confidence from them in you so that when you, when it comes to the point where you have to say, you, you know, Allison, you're, you're not quite looking at this the way we looked at it. And maybe we're wrong, but, you know, would you consider this instead of, of that? And again, well, I'll give you an example. We, we had a young, uh, a young couple who own an architecture firm come to us and say they wanted us to hire a, you know, a biz dev guy. And I said, sure. You know, how much do you want to pay? And they told me. And I said, well, okay. So, you know, it was like $60,000, $70,000, whatever it was. And I said, well, you know, why? I said, you're an architect. I, you know, before the call, I did, the, did some research. And I understand some of the buildings you've built and some of the stuff you've designed. What's the issue? Well, the issue is we can't, you know, we're not getting enough business. I said, oh, so that's what the sales guy's going to do for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, but why aren't you getting enough business? What do you mean, why aren't we getting enough business? Why aren't you getting enough business? Like, do you design crap? Do you never deliver? These were uncomfortable questions. I was a little bit polite, but not a lot. And, and so we went through this thing for about an hour. And I, and I, and I finally said, okay, so I get it. So... What you're saying is you need to you need someone who's going to help you bring in more work on a consistent basis so that it's metered and you can get the work done and out so it'll build your reputation. I said, exactly, a sales guy. And I said, no, it's not a sales guy. I said, first of all, you have two problems. You have no control over your own input and output at the firm. Uh, you're a brilliant designer, so you're doing all the work and you're frustrated because everybody else is not doing the work. And because you're doing all the work and you're the, you're, the, uh, you're the blockage, you're the linchpin, you're not getting any more work because people know that you're brilliant, but they know that they're going to have to wait for six months, a year, or a year and a half longer than to go down to the shop down the street. So what you need is someone to come in and, and bring in controls. And it's almost like a COO, an operations kind of person, but you also need them to you know, bring in sales. And do biz dev. And they said, yeah, that's what we said, a sales guy. I said, well, you're not listening. You're not listening. You're talking about the sales part, but they can bring in all the sales they want to. If you can't get it out the back door, you can't get the drawings out, then it's, it's a short-term hit of cash. You've still got the same problem. I said, what you probably really need is you need uh, uh, someone who's got an operational background who can also generate uh, interest in the company. I said, that's not a salesman. That's really like a rainmaker. What's a rainmaker? So we had that discussion. So fast forward, he didn't know what we were talking about. So fast forward, what we did is um, part of our process is we agree on what we're looking for. In this case, we didn't. He was looking for a sales guy. I thought he needed this. I said, how about I show you what I think we need? So we do a benchmarking process. And I advise this with all my uh, clients and everybody that I talk to that's a recruiter. Go out and find someone and then step through the interview process with them. And afterwards, rip it to shreds. What you liked about the person, what you didn't like about the person. It's a benchmarking exercise, and most people are familiar with benchmarks. So if you do this as a recruiter and you benchmark off of the candidate right at the front end, then you get to reassemble what it is you think you're looking for and then go out to the marketplace. So I brought him in a rainmaker who happened to have a background in operations, and he's a tech guy. And the, and, the, and the guy said, there's no way in hell I'm going to go and work for an architect. I don't do that. I, I do tech. And I said, yeah, I get that. I said, but you could use your tech background 
to modernize his operation so that as you're bringing business in, it's handled correctly and it's out the back door. That's an opera because he had an operations background. Is it operationally that happens? And your sales slash biz dev experience, I said, uh, just the mere fact that you are, are you and you're going to that firm. I mean, here's a rainmaker, not typical to the architecture industry, but and a rainmaker in tech walking over to an architectural firm. That's going to cause interest right away. Long story short, did the interview, loved this guy. We're in the middle of vacation uh, at the cottage. We did the, we did the benchmark on a Thursday. We go on vacation on Saturday. For the next three weeks, I had to beg off the, uh, the client on, on just hiring this guy. I said, you have to meet a couple more people. I'm going to let you meet two people that exactly fit the specification you gave us. And then you can decide whether we're looking for a sales guy, like what you said, uh, he's coming right out of the industry, or whether we're looking for someone that I think he would be of more service to you. So long story short, got through all that stuff, came back off holidays, did those interviews. And by the way, we sit through all the interviews. And in most cases, we actually con conduct the interview so the client can actually sit and listen rather than ask a question and think about the next question they're going to ask. They sit as observers and do follow-up questions. Uh, the guy's been on board now not for, I think he's been on board for 10 months. The firm's already tripled revenue, tripled, and they've only added three new employees. So they've gone from roughly two million to six, adding three employees who were who were just brought in to handle the front end and the management. So you know, and, and that's a typical example of what you get when you take a client through a process like this where you ask the questions and you're sure. Otherwise, what would have happened is I would have hired a salesperson. We would have been paid whatever because they had no problems with the fee. Even even paying 160 instead of 60 was not an issue. Wasn't an issue. But uh, if I'd done it the other way, then you know would have brought someone in and they probably would have got them on some more tenders and brought in a little bit more work. But nobody would have been any happier. Uh, and and we got a nice letter from the client two weeks ago, out of the blue, thanking us, which was not expected really wasn't expected. Okay, so that's a great example of the inside out approach at work about like not just accepting the, the job order at face value, if you like. Not everyone who'll be listening to this is an executive search recruiter at the senior end. So to what extent do you think that approach can be made to work at with other types of recruitment? So perhaps a little bit lower down the, the, the market in terms of salaries? So the answer is the process works, period. We don't do any temporary work, but you, you've got to understand my first placement ever was in 1986, and it was for $28,000. That wasn't the fee. That was the salary. And I was placing my former manager of a retail organization that I, that I came out of. We have handled everything from warehouse guys, where we're doing an entire new company. So we'll hire the, like a, like a machine tool company. So we'll hire the uh, executive, we'll hire the general manager, we'll hire the store manager, we'll hire the cashiers, the guys on the floor and the guys in the warehouse. It's all the same process. It's understanding what the business is about and in a lot of places where the leakages are. I mean, we just finished with a client who made a great, great argument on our behalf uh, himself. 
we're in the middle of, 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 of talking about a site super, uh, building a bunch of houses, right? And uh, a site superintendent typically makes, you know, ninety to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year building houses, and, and normally they pay twenty percent, and like we're not, we're thirty three percent, and um, the general manager was arguing that that was way too much money, and the CEO came back and he said, "Listen, we've hired two of these people uh, in the last six months. We paid twenty percent. They lasted a month or two, and now they're gone." So this guy. Is going to charge us 33. We're on this call like this. If this guy is going to charge us 33%, is going to guarantee the performance for a year. Well, that saves me from hiring six guys. I'm saving money. That's just an example of when you put the the offering up that way and 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 you show them what they're getting for what they're paying because you understand what their needs are and where the leakages are. In their in their case, they lose time and money because they don't have a site super and they can't deliver a house on time. And two days of, deli- of not delivering a house costs more than the difference in the 20 and 33% of my fee. And 33, exactly. So as you say, um, and it's a great example, really understanding your customer's background and position makes the conversation about so much more than just cash, doesn't it? Just cash on an invoice. Okay, so just before we conclude this section, there, there's been another shift which has possibly been accelerated by the pandemic. Maybe it's just coming into sharper focus now. But that is about candidate expectations. And if we look back in history, then at a very, very basic level, at a time when there was great uncertainty in the market and therefore job shortages, you know, you might have found that candidates got less picky. Actually, there's a massive shortage of candidates now, and it, I would say enhanced expectation of recruiters and employers than they did when I started in recruitment, which was, yeah, 1985, yeah? So if you had to sum up how your approach to engaging the candidates in search has shifted, or you may say, well, we were always like this, but how you think generally it's shifted, what would you say? It has dramatically, but that shift came 15 years ago. You know, when we had that first whack on the side of the head uh, down in the States, which sent reverberations around the world. So here's what we do in the process. We will, you know, stage one is the needs analysis, and then we package the deal, and then we go out to the candidates, right? So we actually understand what we're looking for, and we can articulate it quite well. When we go out to the candidates, and we've got a long list, and I'll call those people up, and I'll say, hey, my name is, and usually we're on retainer, I mean, work on retainer, and usually it's an open search, so I can actually talk about the client. And I'll say, we're doing this search on behalf of so-and-so. And no idea if you're looking to make a change, not even an issue here. All I wanted to do was get a confidential email address from you, and let me send you some information. He said, well, tell, tell me about the job. No, I don't have the verbal acuity to do the job justice have an email address, I will send this information to you and then you can sit down when you've got five minutes of quiet time and read through it and decide if we should have a deeper conversation or not. That alone whacks most people on the side of the head. And so I'll take it and I'll send it. Our position profiles are anywhere from uh, five to seven pages and they're beautiful. They're done in full color, got the role there, the whole night, and we've got tons of them off the website you can pull as examples. But, you know, it, it's a full-color brochure on the company and the opportunity. People get this and they call back and they say, yeah or no. 
And if it's no, ask why. And if it's yeah, I'll go, well, well, why? What do you mean why? I'm qualified. Ah, you say you're qualified, but I don't know that. So listen, I tell you what, you probably don't have a resume, and I'm not going to ask you to write one. What I'm going to ask, what I'm going to ask you to do instead is, you know, we deal with people like you all the time. 99.9% .9 of the time, the people that we tap on the shoulder are not looking for a job. They love what they're doing. And I'm only interested in talking to you if this absolutely makes sense and it's the next move for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a Word document. Word document has 24 questions. Ten of them are germane to this particular role. And you're going to fill out those questions. You're just going to type them in, send the document back, and then I'm going to read it. And then when we talk next, I'll understand your background. And I'll be smart because I actually know what you did. And then I can talk intelligently to you. I said, will you spend 20 minutes doing that? And if it's a no, it's click, waste of time. 99% of the time they'll say, yeah, sure. We'll send them off the Word document. They'll send it back. Then they'll go, let's talk about the opportunity. And I said, yeah, I read your stuff. I said, I have one question. I'd like to ask you the one question I've asked everybody for the last 20 years, which has allowed me to you know, you know, put forward a thousand people and you know, only replace six people in 30 years. Would that be okay? And I'm asking permission. And they'll say, yeah, what's the question? I said, well, do me a favor. Roll me back to when you're getting out of college, high school, college, university, whatever, and take me through your life and tell me what's important to you. And I'll sit and listen. And often it's, more, it's for more than an hour. But what I have is I have a candidate who I already know is qualified because we did the research before I ever picked up the phone, right? I know they're qualified. Now what I'm looking for is why are they interested? They're going to tell me this as they go through their conversation. What the hooks are and what they've done in the past that I don't know about because the research I couldn't possibly do enough research on um, and, and how this fits in with my client. And at the end of it, I'll say, hey, that's really great. I don't think you should talk to my client. Here's why. Boom. Or, yeah, that's great. And um, here's why I think you should talk to my client. And I'll tell them. Here's what it means for you. But I can do that with 100% certainty. And, and, you know, and this is this whole, I, I talk about it a lot in the different books. It's an abundant, we have an, an abundance mentality. I'll explain it to candidates or recruiters if they, or clients if they want to understand it. I believe that everybody, all the time, a couple of small exceptions, are targets for us. I will talk to everybody. When we do a search, it's not, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or a file search. It is map out the entire market, everybody that fits this role, call every single one of them and talk to them. So when we go back to the client and say, hey, these are the top three people in your geography, your industry, whatever. We're not kidding. And here's why they fit. And by the way, the candidates, by the time they get there, they're no longer, they're no longer, you know, we chase them, right? We were hunting them. Well, the hunted are now become, have now become the hunters because they're now auditioning for that role. Auditioning. They, they now want it. We don't have to sell. This is the big this is the big difference. Even in a market shortage like we have now, we don't sell. We don't need to. We have the role. We have the role that's going to make your life completely fulfilling. We are going to help you catch up to your destiny. Are you interested or are you not interested? If you're not interested, that's fine. Now I don't need to know who your friends are. Because I'm I'm on to the next people on the list. I'm not interested in who your friends are. I'm interested in you. That's why I called you. This is a fundamental shift, and I, I take what you say. It it hasn't just happened. Uh, that 
it isn't just about whether you can do the tasks involved in a job or whether you can prove that you've had success in raising profitability or whatever it might be previously. There is this element that is now increasingly front and center, which is that people join organizations because of what they stand for and because of what those organizations are going to achieve. To a much greater extent, we're selling that value match um, and ambition match. And when I say we're selling, you made a really good point earlier, which is that actually people hate being sold to in that very overt sense now, don't they? I've personally, whenever I take a call from somebody who's who's in that mode, I instantly feel uh, I'm sort of on watch, I'm on guard and suspicious and what you're describing is actually goes well beyond selling in its old disguise and also well beyond the detailed taking of a job brief. It's a match of genuine values that we're looking for to achieve. Before I switch, and, and I really would refer all listeners to um, Perry Martel website, anything else you want to add about recruiting leadership teams for your clients that you think is particularly pertinent to the market now, David? Uh, well, you brought it up in, you know, in, in our, all the stuff that we write about, the inside-out approach in particular, we talk about heart, head, and feet. If you want to connect with a candidate, you have to connect with their heart. You have to, you have to get them connected to your client's cause. Because as you said, they're not going to make the move unless it's compelling. And the only reason it's going to be compelling it's because it's something that's of interest that they can get behind, you know, a, a belief in what the company is going to achieve. That's speaking to the heart. And that's that's getting to the why, as Simon would say. You know, so it's heart, head, head is, you know, connecting intellectually with what their challenges are and uh, where, the, where the blind spots are, what has to happen, the warts that they know they have. And this comes out when you're doing a SWOT analysis, right? This is all part of the packaging. And then the feet part is really the, Heart, head, feet, and the feet, the feet part is how does stuff actually happen on the ground in the organization, and does it make sense? And when you explain those three things in, in how you write it and in how you talk to them, they can see themselves in the role. And when they see themselves in the role, now you're trying to disqualify them because now they're auditioning for you, right? Now they want it, and you you've gone from having someone that you had to sell to someone now that you have to assess, which is essentially what we're, what we're supposed to be paid for in the first place, right? We're paid not to sell, but to assess people and get the best. In our business, we have to sell to get them in before we get to assess them. This process works all of that in at the same time. And when you take your clients through it and they understand it, they start to do it themselves. And it just makes it easier. It, it, it's hard for them. I mean, we teach this to clients all the time. We're an open book. And we want clients to follow us because it's bloody hard what we do for a living, right? But once, we, once we've done this once and the client can do it themselves, they're not going to do it. They just want to make sure that we can do it because they've been told this kind of stuff so many times for the last couple of decades. We only hire the best, you know, we only do and they And they know it's not true. When you show them and you prove it, you as a, as a recruiter, you know, you're almost impossible to dislodge. You own, quote unquote, the, the relationship. Okay. So I'm conscious of time, David. Thank you very much. Uh, to anyone who's listening, I know that you have a, a 
something brilliant new that you're working on that's kind of disruptive. Can you just talk us through your new work on a job board very, very quickly? Because before we sign off, and we will be followed up, uh, following up with a second episode with David, um, which you can listen to shortly. David, what is it you're doing on the job board? What, what can recruiters who are listening do about it? Yes, thank you very much. I'm building a job for a free job board for recruiters and candidates called WorkInsight.io. Go sign up, get notice when it launches. Okay, and it's free and it's free forever. So um, I've been speaking to David Perry of Perry Martel. David, thank you. And for listeners, go to WorkInsight.io, find out some more about that, or hit David's website and download your inside-out approach. And anyone who's interested in talking about further guidance on how to build a really successful recruitment business, do get in contact with me. I'm Alison Humphreys at Recruitment Leadership. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you.